two selections for our scripture passages this morning. The first is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 12, verses 26 through 30. Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may well revert to the house of David, if this people continues to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will turn again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one at Bethel, and before the other as far as Dan. The second selection is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to where they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Father, your word is a seed, and our hearts are the soil. May the seed be planted well this morning. May it germinate, grow, bear fruit for ourselves and for our neighborhoods, our towns, and the whole world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I think one of the ways to think about 
the story of almost the whole Bible is to think about it in terms of pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is something we thought a lot about while we were gone. What does it mean to go to Israel as a pilgrim as opposed to another way? Um, you can go as a tourist. Uh, you can go on a business trip. Uh, you can go lots of different ways. Uh, what does it mean to go as a pilgrim? And, you know, pilgrimage is not in common parlance. You know, we don't, we don't often use that word. Um, sometimes we think of it when we think of pilgrims coming in the Mayflower or something like that. Or um, John Wayne saying howdy to a pilgrim or something like that. Um, but it has a strong, deep, rich tradition. And it struck me while we were over there that it is all throughout the Bible. Um, yes, the Bible begins with people who are settled, but they're only settled for about a chapter. And then right away, it's exile. Chapter 3, they're not home anymore. Chapter 4 hits two people against each other. One's a settled farmer, the other a nomad shepherd. And the nomad shepherd is the one who gets killed. That's Abel. Cain is the, the farmer. Nothing against farmers, but um, there does seem to be a bias. You know, so a few chapters later, uh, they want to build a town. They want to build a city. They want to be settled. A place called Babel. God breaks it up. He doesn't want this. He doesn't like this kind of, uh, you know, getting comfortable. The zone of comfort, I think they call it. And so that's not happening. And then a little a few chapters later, we meet somebody named Abraham. And Abraham is asked to do what? To go. To go. That's the main thing Abraham's asked to do, to go. He's not even told where he's supposed to go. He's just supposed to go. And so he does. And over and over again, we find that they get settled for a little while in a place called Egypt, and then it ends up being slavery. And then they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. And this time of wandering is a rich, formative time for Israel. So once again, we have formation through, through journey, through pilgrimage. And then finally, 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 the people of God have a place to be. A place where they're not enslaved. A place where they can spread their wings, settle, maybe even plant some crops. And something really interesting happens in this place. God institutes, within the nation of Israel, he institutes a pilgrimage. He says, three times a year, I want you to go down to Jerusalem. I want you to pack up and walk to Jerusalem. Israel is, you know, basically uh, from, it's about as long as Colorado, really. Um, from tip to tip, but it would be like, it, roughly like us walking to Colorado Springs every year, three times a year. Um, and he wants them to do this every year, every year for as long as, for as long as you can imagine. And so this idea of pilgrimage is re retained with the people of Israel. It's that important. Um, the text today talks a little bit about the tension with the pilgrimage. Because, you know, they're in the land, and so they're going to get more and more settled as time goes on. They're just going to keep getting more and more settled. So what do they do? They want a king, and then they 
have a tabernacle that becomes a temple. And the temple is this very established thing, but there's still the pilgrimage to go to the temple. And then the kingdom splits in half. And the guy who's in the north is not an idiot. He realizes that, you know, the temple's in the south, and he realizes that if everybody's going to go down to the south into the other nation, the southern tribes, then that could be a problem for him politically. And so what does he do? He creates a new place to go to worship. And that's what our first king's text today is about. This guy named, this king named Jeroboam, he says, uh, why don't I make new places for you guys to go? Jeroboam is a hero too, by the way, we should say. We, we left that part out, it was a lot to read, but I mean, when the kingdom splits, Jeroboam is sort of like the good guy. Rehoboam is, is, is a bit of a jerk. And so Jeroboam has the best of intentions here. And so his idea is, I'm gonna make some places of worship. And this, all of this, everything he does makes tons of sense, tons of sense. So he makes one in the north end and one in the south end. The one in the south end is a place called Bethel. Bethel is a place loaded with tradition. Like if, if you're looking for like a Jerusalem number two, Bethel would be the place. It's got tons of history. It's, you know, like the history of the forefathers, you know, it's just steeped in all that stuff. But he makes a second one in as far north as you can possibly go in this place called Dan. And, uh, and it's the capital of the tribe of Dan. And it's a very, very strange place I got to visit. And uh, we made our way north. We started in the desert in the south and we made our way north and at the very tip is essentially a paradise. It's beautiful up there. It's tropical. There's like parrots, man. Like it, it is, it's, it's amazing up there. One of the things that makes it unique is it's the headwaters for the Jordan River. So the Jordan River is not just all runoff, it's actually a spring that starts in Dan. And so there's just water gushing out of the earth there, trees everywhere of all kinds. And, um, and Dan has a history. Dan has a history of, of being sort of like magical, like a thin place. You know, the god, uh, the god Pan from, um, I think Greek mythology is, is thought to have come from there. Um, there's a place there they call the Gates of Hades uh, because they feel like, they think that it was like the entrance to the underworld. I mean, how could it not be this amazing special place because of everything happening there? Especially if you're coming up from the desert. So it's brilliant, brilliant to put a temple there, some kind of worship space there, something like that. So, so he, makes, he makes Dan this one place, uh, he makes Bethel the other place, and I have, I have pictures, I have pictures. Let's see if we have, let's see the pictures. you have those? Okay, here we go. I'm not great at this. And honestly, I was a little blown away by this place, so I was, I was like, I don't know how to take a picture of this. Um, but what, uh, so what you're going to be looking at, let's go to the next one. All right, so they built the metal thing, obviously. The metal thing hasn't been there, but everything else was there um, 3,000 years ago. And you're looking, at a, uh, you're looking at the place where you put the golden calf. This is it. This is an altar, um, and the golden calf would have gone where that metal cage is, and they would have entered, um, go back. 
Okay, so you're, I'm looking down on it. They would have entered from where those two little people are way in the back. They would have entered from there. They would have seen the golden calf. And then the place where I'm taking the photo from is what's called the high place. And that's where they would have put the offerings, burnt the offerings, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so these are the steps to the high place. It mirrors the actual temple in Jerusalem almost exactly in terms of dimensions. And so, uh, and so they would have, like, you know, they would have had nostalgia for the temple in Jerusalem. Go to the next one. Um, and then that's the flat high place. Again, not a great photo, but that's like the, that's the, that's the high, like the, that's where they would have put the sacrifices. Next one. Um, there's a, yeah, there's another picture of the, the cage um, where the golden calf would have been. Okay, any others? Is that it? Okay. All right. Okay. So so that's that's sort of what they built. That's what they built at Dan, and astonishingly, we can still see it. I, I think that's amazing. Um, The other thing, you, so the, I mentioned that he does golden calves, and the, the, the thing that's significant about golden calves is they didn't worship golden calves. The thing they liked about golden calves is they represented everything they wanted in God. So golden calves were just like a handy symbol of the kind of God that you want. And the kind of God you want is a lot like a, a bull or a calf. Um, strong, has horns, virile, all these kinds of things. And so he, he sets up these golden calves to sort of, um, to just give them a, the God that they really want. Let's just say it, like the kind of God that they want. Um, now, some people think that, uh, I know I'm geeking out a little bit on this, but like, it just, let's, 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 let's we'll do it together. Um, so the last thing I want to say about this is, uh, some people think that the reason he did two one way in the north and one way in the south of the northern kingdom. The reason he put up two is because uh, by doing two, basically it meant that everything within it is holy. Everything between the two calves is special. And so you don't have to do a pilgrimage at all. So in the temple, there's, there's these two cherubs that sit on top of the ark, and it's called, it, I think it's called the Bina Sea, right? Anyway, um, it's supposed to be the divine presence is supposed to be between those two cherubs. And Jeroboam says, ah, it's too small. Let's make it the whole nation. Let's go from Bethel to Dan. And then if you do that, you don't need to do a pilgrimage at all. You can just stay put, because everywhere, everywhere's fine. The whole nation of Israel is, is the presence of God. Why, why go on pilgrimage at all? So he essentially eliminates pilgrimage. As a result, um, he commits something called a great sin. Uh, the, the passage says great sin. That's only used, God only says that twice in the whole Old Testament. Um, the first one was when Aaron built the golden calf, and now this. Um, and it is pretty serious, because in a couple hundred years, Assyria will come in, wipe out the northern kingdom, and they're gone forever, annihilated. They don't even return home. They don't have like a whole story, Nehemiah, Ezra, whatever. They're just gone in 200 years. They're ruins. Now, let me try to say something about what in the world this has to do with pilgrimage. And, and our scripture from Luke, the, the road to Emmaus. I think that God has been insisting on pilgrimage for his people because 
he knows we have a tendency to become very settled. We have a tendency to like what makes sense. And so we, we set up a world where everything makes sense. We set up a world where home makes sense, work makes sense, family makes sense, or tries to make sense, uh, church makes sense, all these kinds of things. And then what we ended up doing is we ended up making a God who makes sense. Let's have a God who makes sense. And again, that's the whole thing around golden caps. It's just a God who makes sense. And now, you know, our culture's different, obviously. We're not all around calves. We're not all around bulls. And so just imagine another, like, common symbol that represents power and authority and strength. And that is the whole idea around golden calves. God understands that this is not good for human beings. This is not healthy for human beings. This is not what we were made to be like. You don't have to go to Palestine, in fact, to be a pilgrim. If you wanted to kind of get out of this world that makes sense, you can travel all around the world and do the exact same thing. I struggled with it, you know? I struggled with going to these places and seeing only what I wanted to see. And I was a little bit critical of the tour groups that, uh, you know, we're sort of in these enclosed bubbles, and then they'd pour out, and they'd see what they wanted to see, and then go back in, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I can't be too hard on it, because I did the same thing. But it's not just about traveling. It's not just about traveling. Pilgrimage displaces our ideas, our comfortable, make-sense ideas about God and about other people. Our ideas are just too small. If we could wrap our minds completely around God, then we would be the God. There's some graffiti in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is where they think he may have um, been crucified and where he may have resurrected. Um, there's some graffiti there uh, from the centuries. The place has been around since maybe 300 AD, and so there's bound to be a little bit. Um, my favorite piece of graffiti is not very big. It's just a little boat and the little boat has a broken mast on it and under the boat it says lord we have gone i love that they focused on the leaving not that they arrived they arrived at the church but i love that the the little thing at the bottom says that we left we've gone we set out just like abraham he was asked to go wasn't he and he left not knowing where he was going to go I think Miles said it best when it comes to pilgrimage. Miles is one of my sons. And he said, essentially pilgrimage, pilgrimage is just being open to being changed. Wherever your feet take you, even if your feet don't take you very far, it's being open to being changed. And so in the New Testament, we get a whole new kind of pilgrimage. No longer are people going to Jerusalem every year, to the temple, to make sacrifices. The story we just read is not the story of the road to Jerusalem, it's the story of the road to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem. It's while they're leaving Jerusalem that the story takes place. When we were over in Israel, we didn't go to Emmaus. We didn't go because they don't know where it is. They have some ideas, of course, because there's an opportunity there. 
And so, um, so there's lots of you know, possibilities for Emmaus, but for all we know, it's still buried under a hill, under several meters of dirt. We don't know. But the point is, is it doesn't matter. I'm glad we don't know, because the road to Emmaus could be the road to anywhere. Could be the road to Denver, Greeley, Steamboat. It could be the road to work, to the grocery store, church. It could be some point in time. It could be your graduation, your wedding, your retirement. After Pentecost, all roads are out of Jerusalem. All pilgrimages are going away from Jerusalem. And we are all pilgrims now, not in order to get to God, but to be met by him along the way. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they hear the scriptures and they break the bread. And then Jesus is present. It's church on the road. Church on the way. It's a pilgrim church. So, good news, you do not have to book a trip to Israel to get closer to God. And we don't have to do all the work that Jeroboam did. We don't have to reinvent religion. We don't have to make it make sense for people. We don't have to do all of this stuff. Thankfully, it's so much more simple, but it's not easier. We have to keep ourselves open to the scriptures. We have to keep ourselves open to strangers. And in the breaking of bread and in the tasting of the wine, we need to allow ourselves to be met by this God who is, this God is the quintessential pilgrim. This God is always on the way from the far country, on the way toward all of us. Amen. Pilgrim God, thank you for coming from the far country to meet us. Lord, um, be present in our breaking of bread. Be present to us on the way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.